Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. Welcome to the Veterans Path Podcast. Today, my guest is Army veteran and mindfulness teacher, Ben King. Ben is an Iraq War veteran and Purple Heart recipient who has helped hundreds of veterans armor down with mindfulness, meditation, and yoga practices. Before the pandemic, Ben's work teaching mindfulness to veterans and honoring our nation's fallen warriors could be found in such notable publications as National Geographic, The Washington Post, and numerous other books and publications. Since COVID, Ben has continued his work teaching mindfulness online. And now, with all that out of the way, here we go. Welcome to the show, Ben. Pleasure to be here, John. Yeah, so like I was covering right before I hit the record button, I like to keep these fairly informal, uh, relaxed, and, and fun. So I, I love the background that you've got there, man. Where are you? <laughs> uh, uh, I am in the mountains, uh, the, the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, uh, I've, I've been thinking about how to answer this question, so I'm just going to be like, <laughs> For OPSEC reasons, I won't give you any more details than that, but I'll tell you the story. <laughs> I'll tell you the story about how this, this place came to be. My, my, uh, my great-grandfather uh, built this with his son uh, in the 1950s. So when my, my, so my, when my grandfather came back from uh, the uh, European campaign in World War II, um, you know, I, I just, I can't imagine what it must've been like in the United States, like Dude. 46, 47, 48, 49 in the fifties, you know? So they were, they were, uh, you know, they were right in the mix. And so they found this land and they, uh, they bought it. So it's now been in the, it's been in the family since 1950. Um, and then, um, it's now just been passed down and, you know, I'm, I'm part of generation five. Wow. So, uh, it's soon going to be in my, so my dad is still kind of in charge of everything. And so is my uncle, but it's now kind of moving further and further into, uh, our responsibility. And so, you know, as you can see, it's just a little slice of heaven. And, wow. you know, as, as I am getting older, I, I'm starting to feel more and more like an adult. Now I'm 40 years <laughs> old, but I, I, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I've, I've, whether intentionally or not held off being an adult as long as possible. And, and I'm starting to feel ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm 43 and I, I still, you know, the only thing that really makes me realize that I'm adult is that I am an adult is that when I wake up in the morning and I've got two little kids that you yes. know, have caring and feeding. So if I don't yes. act like an adult, then, uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. then we'll be struggling. But yes. yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. that. Uh, well, first off, for, for those who are just listening to the show, Ben is sitting, it looks like maybe on a deck on a lake. It's a beautiful setting behind him. I'm jealous. Uh, although, quite honestly, I'm, I'm looking out at some mountains here in Colorado Springs. So I guess I don't have too much room to be jealous, but you've got a beautiful spot there. Thank so, you, thank you. So that's part of the family. Where did you actually mm -hmm. grow up? 
So I, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, on a place called Church Hill. It's actually quite a famous place. Have you ever heard the "Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death" by Patrick Henry uh, okay. speech? Yeah, it's, everyone's heard of that. Well, the church uh, was called St. John's Church, and it was a, a church on Church Hill. And so, in uh, I grew up on that same hill in Richmond, Virginia. So uh, Richmond's been my my hometown, and um, I, uh, lived there for the first major chunk of my life until I was a teenager. And then, uh, because my father had a, uh, an opportunity with his law firm to move overseas, the family moved to Brussels, Belgium when I was oh, wow. 16. Yeah. And so I, I spent three and a half years in Brussels, Belgium, and that was a very formative time because while it wasn't international school, we had an American football team. And so... Um, I got to play football in high school, which was my dream. I, when I was a little kid, I remember I wanted I wanted to be two things when I grew up. I wanted to be a football player in the winter and a dolphin trainer in the summer. And <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so um, to play high school football was my dream. And so I got to got to play in in Europe. And which was what was nice about that was it was a smaller school. Um, and so I, I actually got to play a prominent role on the team. It wasn't like a big state school or anything like that back in the U.S. I'm not that big of a guy. I mean, I'm 200 pounds, but I'm only 5'9". And so I wasn't I wasn't like a, a monster like you get some of these guys now. You're just like, sure. oh, my Lord, you're only how old? Anyway, I got to play football over there. And the reason why I bring that up is because we got to go to all the military bases. So I've been to Vilsack and Biesbaden and Würzburg and Ramstein and and all these different bases all over the all over Europe. So that was really cool. Nice. And then I came came back to the states uh, in '98, I think it was, for university. So I went to university at American University, um, and spent the two spent the first two years um, not being anywhere near a young adult. I mean, being being a, a child at, at a university and and just having as much fun as I could, and, and that. That that developed a lot of very poor habits that I'm only starting to get over. <laughs> so, fortunately for me, I, I was able to kind of recognize some of the challenges I was facing and um, took a year off school. And in that time, um, September 11th happened. So I was in my kind of year off to get myself squared away. And September 11th happened, and uh, ultimately I I would join the army uh, that next summer. And I would go to basic training in Fort Benning of in April of uh, 2002. So uh, I signed up right after September 11th, and then I spent um, essentially spent uh, four and a half years waiting to get deployed. It was right in we were right in the middle of Iraq at right. the time. We were beginning to go into Iraq, and we were in Iraq in the early stages. And so we ended up I ended up getting on a battle roster in the winter of, or the early fall of 2005. And then by April of 2006, we deployed. And so we were in Iraq by late April of 2006. Um, and so this was right, this was like the months before the surge. Um, I'd be interested where you were in 2006. I imagine you were in some interesting spots. Yeah, in 2006, I was, uh, I was off the coast of Somalia. <laughs> Yeah, so you're doing some pretty different, really interesting stuff, I'm sure. Uh, so, um, so anyway, we were in Iraq, and I was part of a psychological operations team. And so, a psyops team is the job of a psyops team is to facilitate non-lethal engagements and interactions with the local population. 
and also to be a bridge between key communicators in the Iraqi civilian environment and the key communicators in frontline companies all the way up to, you know, your colonels and at the battalion and at brigade. So we had this really cool role as a middle, that was a middle person. Like my job was to be in the middle and to find ways to build rapport between frontline units who were in charge of a particular AO and the key communicators inside that AO. So I got to use a, um, an interpreter on a regular basis. Um, we, we really got to engage with the culture. So lots of drinking tea, lots of engaging with the police and sheikhs and imams. And um, it's just, I would argue, it was the best job in the army, hands down. And then we also had this really big loudspeaker on top of the Humvee. So we got to we were the guys that were playing music on the way out of the fob and on the way back into the fob or during some like 12 hour break, we'd have to just sit there. We'd be the guys playing music out of the speakers. So it was just a, it was just a heck of a good job. And so that was 2006 to 2007 came back from Iraq in 2000, April of 2007. And, uh, you know, everything was great. Everything was really, really cool, uh, for about, four to five months and then the wheels started to fall off and and I kept thinking as the wheels were falling off you know I'll just I handled Iraq you know what's what's what possibly could be worse than what I dealt with and then the the cumulative effect of my inability to manage the challenges I was facing really caused a lot a lot of disruption for about three years and then through some through some just kind of desperate moves and the willingness to try new things, I, I found um, yoga and then I found mindfulness. And then from there, um, my, my life's work has been to bring these skill sets to the warrior mindset by simply retooling a lot of what warriors already know um, to be applied uh, in, in the civilian context as opposed to the warrior context. And that's really what's led me to Armor Down and all the programs we've created and ultimately what's led me to you. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, you mentioned you found yoga and you found meditation and mindfulness. Where did you find that? Well, I found, I found um, well, the first, the first problem I faced when I came home was a just a lack of motivation to go at exercise at the level I was used to. So do you remember before CrossFit was cool? Do you remember those times? Like when it was when CrossFit <laughs> yeah. was like the thing that a couple of people knew about, you would just go to the website and you would just see the workout of the day. Yeah. And you at first were like, there's only like three lines and there's almost nothing on the website. It's just like, yeah. you know, 50 box jumps, 20 push-ups, 20 burpees, do that 10 times as fast as you can. And you're like, yeah. all right, well, let's give it a shot. And then you'd be smoked and you're just like, wow, that's, yeah. that's so much easier than having to, what's today? Wednesday, I guess this is legs day or Thursday. This has <laughs> got to be back in tries. You know, it's just like back and buys or whatever it was, that old style. And so then, so then, so we decided CrossFit beforehand and I was doing all kinds of stuff beforehand and it, it felt good. I mean, it really felt awesome to be able to strap on a 40 pound weight vest in the summer and, 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 you know, run six miles at the hottest part of the day and, you know, get all that stuff done. And, and all the aches and pains that resulted from all that stuff was, was like just par for the course. It wasn't a big deal. And so when I came back, I kind of, I went back into the gym hoping to find that same level of interest and, um, 
and just excitement. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing better than recognizing very clearly that what you're doing is having an impact. Like that feels good. And then not only that, but to tie it to a larger responsibility that really just kind of, it's, it's a mind, body, spirit, right? I'm, I'm doing this stuff for myself, but I'm also doing it for the greater good. And it was easy to motivate. Uh, well, when I came home, I, that the, the several problems hit me right off the bat. And the first problem was I, I really had, I really had problems with chronic pain in my neck, back and shoulders. Um, I was, I always had the sensation of being pulled backwards. And so as a result, I was having difficulty sleeping. My knees were really bothering me. My, my feet were bothering me. Um, you know, I was just kind of a mess. And I, I remember, I remember if I, so I, as I'm talking to you, I haven't I hardly moved at all, but I remember back in the day, I'd be constantly moving. It was constantly yeah. like, then I'd get uncomfortable. I have to move again. And it's just, and it was just constant and it was so disruptive. And so I was just really struggling at, at trying to find a way to kind of get into my body and, and feel good in my body again. And after like weeks of, of not finding a way to kind of just get in there and feel good, I was on my way up from the basement of the, where all the weights are. And there was a, an 11 o'clock yoga class. And this is in 2009. Right. So this isn't this isn't this is before yoga got really mainstream. This was when this is when they they talk about, you know, the soccer moms. Right. After you drop, <laughs> drop your kids off at school, where do you go? You go to the gym for your yoga class. Right. So there was me in the yoga class. And I think I had like probably like a, a cut off Punisher shirt or something where I was you know, <laughs> thinking I'm all hardcore <laughs> classing. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, walk in there and. And just I, by luck, just the teacher there, her name is Jewel Greenberg. And if there's ever a, if there's ever a person who you want to know, like who you know is just a, like just a woman or a person that is driven by goodwill and open heartedness, she was one of those people, right? And I walk in there and I, you know, I'm sure I look like, you know, I look like, a, you know, I'm just an insecure person, like walking in, like, what am I supposed to do here? And she gave me a purple yoga mat and two purple yoga blocks. And she's like, look, you've never done this before, huh? And I was like, I, you know, I never, done, never done yoga. And she's like, well, here, uh, let, me, uh, let me show you where to set up and let me show you what to do. So um, she, you know, she put down the yoga mat. She showed me how to do the blocks. And then, you know, what she did at first was she's like, all right, look, I want you to just lay down. And I want you to put your hands here. And I just want you to take some deep breaths and breathe your shoulder blades up towards your ears. And then exhale and breathe your shoulder blades down. And I said, all right. So I did that. And I remember it felt good. And I remember that was like a, like, like my experience with pleasure in my body was relegated to just a couple, like a couple regions, right? There's the, there's the sensual pleasure, right? That comes from that kind of stuff. Then there was the pleasure that comes from say alcohol, right? There's a, there's an aspect of pleasure from alcohol. I did some drugs in college that, that showed me what pleasure felt like in my body. But when it came to like pleasure in my body, like I just, it was like, I was like learning the ABCs. Like, what, what do you mean pleasure? Like I, my body, no pain, no gain, right? Like yeah. pleasure. What, what are you talking about? Um, so I remember, I remember she's like, do this. And I'm like, this warm feeling spread across my shoulders. And I was just like, 
this is great. This is so easy. And then I, I did the whole yoga class and I, I just remember very clearly sleeping well that night. And that was such a unique thing because I just was not sleeping. And that did not, I mean, it did not matter downrange to not sleep. It just didn't yeah. matter. Time, time was irrelevant down, downrange. It's such an interesting phenomenon that time has no bearing other than kind of light quality, right? So it's like you've, you've slept for two hours. Now you got to go back out for eight. You know, well, what time of the day is it? Well, yeah. It's going to be on this time. time. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be this time. So you just have to do this stuff. So that was all that was relevant. But when you go back to the world and you start having to, it's really important to sleep because you've got to get on the schedule that everyone else is on. And I just wasn't doing that. And I, I didn't know what to do about that. And so sleep became a big deal. And I developed a lot of really terrible methods for helping myself sleep, which got the job done, but in, in not in any kind of effective, you know, progressive, positive way. And so as, as I started to sleep with the yoga, I was like, I'm sold on this. I don't care what I look like. And so as I, as I started to be the only guy in the yoga class over and over and over again, I was like, you know, there's got to be a better way to talk about this that people especially people who have this mindset of, of you know being a warrior having gone down range there's got to be a way for them to realize that this stuff is good for them and that it's getting to the body it's just a different style and there's there's nothing particularly wrong with that other than how we hold this practice in our imagination so right. is there a way that i can influence this and and that's ultimately how armor down uh came to be a came to be a blog and kind of going back to what I was saying about my back always hurting and always feeling pulled backwards for, for anybody that's never worn body armor, the, the way, the way body armor works is it's all, all your weight is put in front of you. So you have all these pouches, right? That carries all your stuff. And so what you got is back in the day before, I guess, whatever they've got now and whatever the good stuff you guys got, but what the regular Joe got was these was about 80 pounds, 60 pounds worth of body armor, these plates. And these were great plates because, you know, they were the best of the best. They could take a seven, six, two round, like, you know, point blank. Um, but they were heavy, right? Not as heavy as they could have been, but they were heavy. Um, and so all of that was was on the front. And I remember I, I was looking at a picture of myself in this neighborhood. And I remember I was leaning back in the picture to counterbalance the weight that I had on the front of me pulling me forward. Right. Now, if, if I had known to pay attention to that, and if I had known to recognize that your body is always adapting to what your, what your patterns are, it would have occurred to me that the reason why I kept feeling like I was being pulled backwards was because I had aligned my body to navigate life with body armor on, and now... I was back to the world without body armor. So I was, my body was still aligned for 60 extra pounds kind of front loaded. Mm -hmm. And so that relationship kind of clicked because what we had learned from the Humvees is that if you keep an up armored Humvee armored in the early days for too long, it breaks the chassis, it messes up the frame, it breaks the, the suspension. suspension. Because yep. they just weren't built to hold that much weight. And we didn't, we, of course, we, did, we understood that about the Humvees, right? You would never treat your body the way, you're, the, way you, the way you treat your weapon or your vehicle or your nods or anything. 
You take care of your weapon because if you don't, it screws up and you can't use it. You take care of your Humvee every single day, PMCS the vehicle, PMCS the vehicle every single day. And when it comes to your mind and your body, you just suck that up. But when <laughs> it comes to your gear, when it comes to your gear, you're supposed to, you're supposed to, how often are you supposed to clean your weapon? I mean, theoretically every day after every time you use it, it should be spotless. Why? Because you don't want it to bust on you when you're downrange. Right. Uh, duh. Well, they, that, that wasn't the case. It's, that's, I mean, it's still not really the case for that, that warrior mindset. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a badge of honor to push yourself beyond any conceivable levels because that's how you see how tough you are. Um, so anyway, that's, it was the, the relationship between the armor and when it clicked in my head, that's how the name Armor Down came to be. Because uh, you know you have to armor down the Humvees when you bring them home, or else they'll become useless. You don't. You don't carry that. You don't. You wouldn't. You would not carry. You wouldn't use a, an up armored Humvee back in the day, uh, back stateside. It, it would be silly. Why would you be? Why would you do that? You need. You want the Humvee to do its job, right? Yeah. To to move stuff around. You don't want the Humvee to be broken after a month of doing that. So you take the armor off. Well, that's easy in the context of a vehicle. You just take the daggone armor off. It's not as heavy. Well, what do you do? How do you armor down a complex 13.5 billion year old evolved system, otherwise known as human? How do you armor down that? And so that has really been the journey that I've been on since creating the blog, which started, I guess, in 2010. Nice. So you go from the yoga class at the gym. You've got it done a couple of times. Before you start Armor Down, how did you come to the, the spot from where you are at the gym doing yoga for your first time to where you decide, you know what, I'm going to found Armor Down? How did that come to be? Um, the, the thing about the gym that I thought was so interesting was how the gym, like weight training, embraced and still embraces the military mindset. And so um, at, in, in 2010, I had started a master's program at, the, uh, at American University. And my master's thesis uh, was titled, I think, uh, We All Get Old and Die the mental, the military mindset style of fitness training is unsustainable or something like that. And so my, my research led me to all these different gyms. And what I saw in all these different gyms were all just basic variations on no pain, no gain. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just, I just remembered looking at that stuff and I just remembered thinking, okay, well, if all this stuff I'm encouraged to train is not sustainable and I am spending years and years and years practicing something that I will get good at but will always lead to further and further diminishing returns, what can I do now that I could keep getting better for the rest of my life? And so I. I took, a, I took my thesis, which was largely 40 pages of just garbage. I mean, I, I did not 
I did not navigate the intellectual realms of university well. I, <laughs> How many of us? I, but I think, but I think I wore them down, John. I really do. I think they were by the end of it, they were just like, let's just pass this guy. I mean, it, it's going to look good for us. It looks good for him. <laughs> let's just let him. <laughs> and so, and so they they let me pass. And so anyway, but I so I had this master's thesis, and I was like, well, no one wants to read read all this. Like, let's let's make this let's make this something, um, something real, something that people could actually use. And so I remembered I, I started out with these, cause I was personal training was, was something I, I did at the time. And, and so I said, you know, why don't I start a personal training brand that really emphasizes sustainability? And so I, I started, I started one and I, and by that, I mean, I, I made like business cards, right? So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I started out with like, um, sustainable personal training and, and then i and then i created a a program called core like your core core spiral wellness and i developed these these four principles that i thought were were completely sustainable and and the four principles were uh, moving from your center uh, using spiral ranges of motion interacting with your breathing and understanding the value of ease and so I, I, I use these four principles as, as kind of the foundation of my personal training program. And so I started teaching that program to my personal training clients and, and mostly the, 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 the kind of the, man, the uh, management at my gym gave me like, you know, the, the kind of the hippies or the old people. <laughs> work, work, with all the, work with all the people that that want to just exercise. Don't work with like people who really want to get fit. Like <laughs> you can work with that. <laughs> you can you can work with everyone else. Uh, but anyway, so I did that for a while. That didn't go anywhere. And th and then I and and the and I and the problem the problem that I was still facing was that I was I was able to get this stuff done. And I, I mean I dedicate this to my military training. I mean there is a ton to be said for no pain, no gain. There is a ton to be said for putting the mission first. There's a ton to be said for suck it up and drive on because it's true. I mean, the thing is, it, it is, it is true that we can do this stuff. I mean, we, we are capable as human beings to, to be able to do and, and uh, withstand unbelievable amounts of kind of, angst and challenge and and we can overcome them i mean that's arguably what makes america so special is because it's the first nation that really at, at its base tapped into that reality of, of human potential and so um I, I you know i was able to i was i was able to get this stuff done because i was able to i was able to survive the coping mechanisms that i had been developing like it's not a badge of honor to say you know, I can drink a bottle of wine, a couple shots of of uh, vodka, and three Tylenol PMs every night, and be fine in the morning. Like that's not you don't you don't want to brag about that, but that's what I was doing. And what I was having were these unbelievably acute experiences with my emotions, experiences with stress. And suicidal ideation. I, I was I was just on a regular basis getting to that place, and every single night around 7 p.m., the the anxiety that I only understood as a story in my head, but it would often it would show up here in my chest, 
And as it, as it would build sensationally, the story would start to spin and those two would feed each other, right? And they would just rev me up by night. And I would have to just basically knock myself out to get to sleep. Right. And every morning I woke up and I had to get over that hurdle, you know? And so um, I, was, I was putting out, I think, good stuff, but I still hadn't addressed the aspect of my mind. And so that really, that really fostered armor down kind of beginning was the yoga and just the got to talk about this stuff in ways that people will understand. But what really, what really changed everything was a, you know, again, mindfulness found me. It was a conversation at a, um, at a Whole Foods in Tinley Town in Washington, D.C. This woman, you know, is a classic example where someone who you kind of recognize looks at you and calls you by name and you're like, oh, I don't know who you are, but <laughs> hey, great to see you again. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It was one of those moments and her name was Arlene, but I, I didn't remember at the time, but I was like, hey, great to see you. How are you? Da, da, da. And uh, she she's like, what are you doing? And I told her about Armor Down, I'm writing this blog. She's like, oh, well, you have, have you ever tried mindfulness meditation? And I was like, well, I mean, I've heard of it. Um, I've, you know, I've tried that kind of stuff before, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what that stuff's all about. I, I have no concept of its utility. Um, but she's like, look, you should try it. You know, it's it taught at the VA because you're a vet, you'll be able to go take it for free. I know the teacher, um, you know, I'll get her to call you. And I was like on a Monday. So the teacher called me like that night. And by that Thursday, I was in, uh, I was at the Washington DC VA hospital, uh, in a class with, like seven or eight other vets, most two were Korean War vets and the rest were Vietnam vets. And I was the only um, post 9-11 vet. And we just started this mindfulness practice that was based on the style I rest yoga nidra, which is a guy named Richard Miller. Yeah, we've actually had and, Richard Miller on the show. And I remember, I remember just the experience of, wow, this is really simple. Okay. Okay. And then I just remember going from a, a mind state of this to this to like, oh, whoa. <laughs> like, this is significant. And what the experience was like was it was like going from a, you know, water, like imagine a, you know, a, you know, rushing rapids, right? You know, rushing rapids at the speed of my thoughts. And it got so bad that I wouldn't even have thoughts like I would just have the experience of my mind like twitching like a like an old cafeteria fluorescent light bulb. You know, those old ones that would go yeah. like that weird tick sound like tick, tick, tick. Yep. or like the World War Two barracks in the bathroom at Fort Bragg. They had these old fluorescent light bulbs that would like one would be on like twitching. like. Yep. Uh, and so that was what it was like in my head when I would get spin up. There wouldn't even be any thoughts. And I used to call them white nights. And so I was still, I was still really, I was still really having a hard time with that. And I just remembered taking that class and just being blown away by how simple it was, number one. And number two, how aware I was of the change in the experience of my mind. And when I realized that I could influence my mind at all, like that was like, I can influence my mind. <laughs> you mean, you mean I'm not my mind. I'm, I, I have awareness of my mind and also I can, I can change my mind. Like not just change my mind on like an idea, but I can, 
change the way the volume of my mind is kind of set in my head. I can shift my attention to different things. There's something called a parasympathetic nervous system. <laughs> like what? And so uh, when that when that all took place, that was really that was really it. And so then I went, you know, I went every every Thursday to the class, um, and that's when I started. That's when the technology piece, like um, QR codes, are a big part of my life. I have I put QR codes on everything uh, as as just a really easy way to. Um, share information and get feedback about the people that are engaging with the information. Right. And so uh, I went to this woman named Karen Soltz and I said, Hey, look, you're teaching this great program. And cause she, cause she, she had lamented, you know, I, I wish I could just be in more places at once, you know, cause there's so many people that can benefit from this stuff and it's so easy and it's especially good for sleep and sleep was my big thing. So, um, so she, um, she, she was, you know, lamenting that she couldn't be everywhere at once. And I said, well, Hey, you know, there's a thing called a QR code. We could, we could take the recording of your practice, attach it to a QR code, just give it away to people and put it up on YouTube. And anytime anybody scan the QR code, they could get access to you guiding a meditation for free. And then we could also track to see how many people actually scan the QR code. So she saw, thought that was a great, great idea. And so she connected me to a guy who, if you don't know him yet, I'll connect you, named Rob Schwar. And Rob Schwar runs the Give Back Yoga Foundation, and they're out in Colorado. And so Rob was like, hey, you know, um, why don't we try to get, get you and uh, Karen some grant money, and you can make a special postcard with a QR code on it to help veterans sleep. So I said, okay. So um, Rob gave us like fifteen hundred bucks, and uh, we we put together these the recording. We put them on a QR code, and then we had what we thought was permission at the VA to hand them out. And uh, you, you'd be surprised. I mean, most people are very surprised by this, but that actually didn't work out at the VA. You know, go figure. So <laughs> we had all these uh, we had all these QR codes and on the all these postcards, ten thousand of them. And we had nowhere to nowhere to put them, so that was around I think March or April that the plans with the VA fell through. And and I mean it really wasn't it really wasn't the VA's fault or our fault. It was you know there's just so much bureaucracy. It's hard to get all those things squared away. So um, we had all this product to get out, uh, and I wanted to get them out to the veteran community, but didn't know how to do it. Well, living in D.C. at the time. Uh, Memorial Day was right around the corner, so I knew about Rolling Thunder. I knew about all the all the um, vets that come out for that, and so I gathered up a bunch of volunteers, and we handed out uh, these these postcards over the three days of Memorial Day weekend, and um, as you know, just as a as a as a way to get this stuff out there, and it was our it was essentially our first program, Armor Down's first program which uh, we ended up calling Mindful Memorial Day. And uh, that was a, that, that piece right there uh, led to kind of the largest kind of understanding that I would develop in the context of sharing this, this stuff, which is that, you know, we didn't have success talking to the warrior's intellect about mindfulness. We had far more success talking to the warrior's heart about mindfulness and once we came to that realization which took about another another year and a half 
that's when I would say we really started having an impact on the warrior community sharing the practice of mindfulness. What did you do differently that allowed you to connect with the warrior's heart versus their intellect? Yeah, so we would lead often with, look, you know, science suggests X, Y, and Z. And so we would, we would pitch mindfulness as a scientifically based practice that is shown over and over and over again to be effective. And warriors were ready to accept that as true, but they weren't ready to really apply it to themselves because I still think at that time, well, I know at that time there just wasn't a connect. There was an intellectual connect. All right, I get it. I understand. But there was no like experience, right? It's like you can read a book about going to war and you can have that intellectually. But until there's an experience of it, you will never really get that full, that full meaningful kind of thing. So when we realized that we and we didn't, it wasn't a conscious realization like, oh, we're doing this. We should do that. It was just how the program adapted. And, you know, this is really worth talking about at some point, too. But there just seems to be this quality about life that 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 makes me very comfortable with the statement that that life is intelligent. Life wants me to do well and life is waiting for me to participate because life wants to participate with me and through me. And so after we did this handout on. Uh, over um, Mindful Memorial Day, I think that was 2013, um, started talking to more people about it. I had some data because of the QR codes, the QR codes. We, we gave out 10,000. Essentially, uh, 1,000 people scanned the QR code, 100 people watched the YouTube video, and maybe two watched the whole thing. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> three days of effort for two people <laughs> kind of <laughs> interacting with the content. <laughs> Yeah, right. But we still had some data. So we took that data and we acted like it was a we acted like the data was a big deal. See, look at this. We but but we handed out ten thousand. And so uh we 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 showed people the data and then we we just talked to people and then so we ended up getting connected to uh the women's memorial at Arlington National Cemetery. And that's the uh that's the memorial that's now the service wait, the women's Military Women's Memorial. That's the new name for it. It used to be called Wims, Women in Military Service for America Memorial, but they just changed the name to uh, Military Women's Memorial. And so anyway, it sits at the gate at Arlington Cemetery. And so we had, you know, talked to one guy and one guy was like, well, have you thought about this? And we had some ideas about what we wanted to do for Memorial Day. And so they said, well, try this and go talk to them. And so we went and they loved our idea. And then they had an even better idea. So we went with their idea. And that was where we would hang these yellow ribbons from the rafters of the women's memorial. And um, affixed to each ribbon was the name of a fallen service member. And so the first year we did it, we had 6,904 ribbons that we hung. And we gave away about, you know, 2,500. And so what we did when we gave them away was we did something called a mindful moment of gratitude. And so the way that worked was we would simply say, you know, would you like to honor a fallen warrior? A person would say, yes, of course. And I say, how do I do it? And then we would take them through this mindful moment. And it happened really fast. It wasn't like a long thing. And people just, it wasn't even a thought about it. It was just like, they would just kept, they just kept saying yes. And so we would take them through this really simple process where a volunteer and a 
in a warrior or a civilian, whatever, would just come together in an open-hearted moment around honoring a fallen service member. And so that was just so easy that we were able, and so impactful that we were able to do it again and do it again. And then by around year 2016, people had heard about it, and so they wanted us to come to other place, uh, other places and share the program. So are you familiar with TAPS? Yeah. Transition. and yeah. Yeah. So TAPS, TAPS had a big program going on at, uh, at some convention center near Arlington, and I'd met some TAPS people. So they, we brought the program to TAPS, and uh, I'll never forget this one guy. He, he was he was walking down the street, and he was he was very he was very he was just a he was just a good old boy, right? And you you know what I mean when I I'll tell you what I'm talking about. He had a he had a, a hat on, that big old Ford Ford you know emblem right there. He had some facial hair. He had a shirt like I'm wearing with some Marlboro Reds in the breast pocket. He had on some blue jeans and he had on some cowboy boots, right? And he had a big belt buckle, right? And so I say to this guy, I was like, hey, man, you want to do a mindful moment of gratitude to honor a fallen warrior? And he's like, no, man, I don't do that yoga stuff. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I was like, no, it's not, it's not yoga. And he was like, well, what is it? Kind of like I'm annoyed. He's like, God, you can just tell. He's like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> it's like while well, he talk, he's talking about honoring the fallen so I can't like tell him to screw off you just tell him shit so he's like well what is it and I was like, I was like, it's like you know anything about firearms and he goes like what I was like you know anything about firearms you ever fired a weapon before and I, I obviously I mean I'm being stereotypical here but he, I know he knows how to fire a weapon yeah, of course. but he's he, he, he looks at me like I got antlers coming out of me like, of course I know how to fire a weapon what does that have to do with anything well, what, do you, what does front sight focus mean to you? And he's like, well, it means you means you put put your attention on the front sight and you kind of push everything else out. You focus in on one thing. I said, well, why do you do it? He's like, so you can hit the target. And I was like, well, you do anything with breathing? You do anything? Do you, do you get all tense when you fire the weapon, or do you kind of relax? You do any breathing? And he's like. Well, what you actually do for the trigger press is you inflate your body at this rate, and, da, 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 and on your <laughs> exhale, right at the bottom, right around the bottom, you just do, 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 do. So I'm listening to this guy describe like the inner workings of being inside of like a deep meditative state to fire a weapon, and and it, he would he would think that that has nothing to do with anything that I'm talking about, and I was just like, that's that's what a mindful moment is, and I was like, just instead of hitting the target, you're offering a moment of gratitude with your undivided attention and he's like well all right what do i got to do <laughs> nice and I, was, I was like i was like so we had these meditation cushions out right so i said all right well take a seat take a seat on this meditation cushion and so he sits down and he's got his knees all jacked up and he's all you can tell he's all uncomfortable and i was like you know sir um you know, I encourage you to use all these cushions. We had about 20 of them. I was like, you know, it, it, look, just try to be comfortable. If you were to do something to make yourself 5 10% more comfortable, what would you do? And so once I asked him that question, it was like it gave him permission to not just suck it up. Like it was, yeah. like he was just going to just sit there all uncomfortable, sucking it up. 
And so he sat down on the cushion and I was like, you know how to do crisscross applesauce. He did that. He said, well, I don't like that. Cause you know, it feels like my hit, my hips are too high. I was like, well, what if you got up a little bit higher on the cushion? And if I stick these cushions under your knees, does that feel good? Is, is that cool? I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to see what it feels like. It's like, you know, that feels all right. And I was like, okay, cool. So I take him through the protocol. And by the time we go, we get to the end, I said, okay, now I want you to just in your own mind, silently to yourself, you know, honor this fallen war. And I gave him a ribbon, an specific name, and he says a name inside of his mind. I said, all right, now just do that with, you know, your fullest attention. And we've only been, we've been at this for like 90 seconds, if that. And I was like, okay, now to finish the practice, I want you to take two breaths and on your second exhale, your practice is over. You can open your eyes and you know, come back to the room. Two breaths go by, five breaths go by, 10 breaths go by. And I'm, I'm just kind of like looking around the room. This guy has not moved a muscle and he's just like zen out just deep in it. And I was like, Hey, Hey, sir, you, um, it's all over, sir. It's all over, sir. And he's like, <laughs> all right <laughs> he just walked off you know and 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 that was i mean that was that was really that was the that was a big one and so since then we've been at arlington we were even at arlington this year although uh we just set up we set up without um without any kind of fanfare we have this deep relationship with the military women's memorial and and we're just tied into them real well and we know some of the people at Arlington because because they've now seen us now for eight years in a row and so uh, we were able to put something up um, at Arlington even though we weren't able to be there uh, and then we did it uh, virtually so we did Mindful Memorial Day virtually and we were able to honor all 7,000 names and I just have to plug uh, just just your just your average American I mean we we, we just do some, some things just really, really well. And, and, and the topic of honor, right? And so I think a lot of people have forgotten what honor means. Like you don't get honor from people. You, you give honor to get honor. You don't, you don't go buy honor or you don't like, you don't earn honor. You, you get honor by giving of yourself. And the more you give of yourself, the more, you, the more honorable you become and the more honor you have to give. And I think we, we do that really, really well in America. And so it was just so amazing to see people go out of their way to honor these names in these special ways. Some people would, you know, were doing hundreds of push-ups. Other people were getting together with their families and, and saying the names out loud and putting them on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Got a lot of people who just never had done video before say, you know, I've never been online and they're like 70 or 80. I've never been online and it's not something everyone's been trying to get me to do it. <laughs> you know, this was the first time I did it and you know, it wasn't, wasn't so hard. That was cool. And it felt really good. And you know, just, it was just really cool. And, and we had, we only got like 5,000 names covered by that Monday night. And I was, I was, you know, I, I was ready to be like, you know, for a pandemic year, this isn't bad. You know, let's, the team's, the team's been working for three days and we had all these people just, just tracking everything on the lists and making sure we're doing this and putting it up to the website. And so I was ready to be like, all right, you know, let's, it's a pandemic. Everyone gets a little bit of space during a pandemic. And I was ready to be like, all right, let's, Let's finish it up. And then I talked to one of my teammates who was not a veteran 
he's just a just a brilliant guy and he's like you know if we do x y and z and you do x y and z and we get so and so to do x y and z we could honor all these names before midnight nice and i was like well shit if you're gonna be telling me we can get it done then i've got to get on board with that i'm the freaking leader and you're telling me we can get it done and i'm ready to give up like Thank God I didn't say that. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> so so if within like four hours, we had 2,000 names accounted for. And just people all over on social media were reading the names out loud. Wow. You know, other people were asking me for names. And it was just really cool. So if, if you ever get a chance to go to the Mindful Memorial Foundation Facebook page, you'll just see fellow Americans from every single conceivable walk of life honoring names with their fullest attention. And it's just, it just warms your heart. Oh, so wonderful. So that's been, that's been going on. And then we've, you know, we've of course expanded, we've expanded Mindful Memorial Day was such an effective program that we turned it into a nonprofit. So that broke off from Armour Down. And so that's now its own 501c3. And so currently with Armour Down, the programs that we're working are all built off that same premise, right? So the premise is go at the heart, go at the heart with language that helps people armor down. So what when what it means to armor down is to interact with something that doesn't trigger you, right? And everyone knows how fast people can be triggered. They just don't really understand what it means to be triggered. What it means to be triggered in the kind of the biological, intellectual, psychological, spiritual sense is to armor up. Right. And what happens when you armor up is it's easier it's easier to other right it's easier to have them be them you be you and have no connection yep. right and i imagine i imagine for those at the very very tip of the sphere i imagine you know some people like this it's really important to be able to have that sense of separation between yourself and the enemy and that to, in order to do your job effectively with other with other the other side of the spectrum that is also othering you that armor is essential and necessary in order to function at a high level. But if you carry it at home, it becomes ever more easy to other other Americans or just other other people for no other reason than that's the story that you keep telling yourself. Right. And the biggest problem is that when you do that and your heart shuts down and you stop being open hearted, the systems of your body that give life the special qualities that make it worth living become less and less impactful and less and less functional and harder and harder to turn off. That's number one. Number two, the more you other, the more the things that give you the greatest oomph in life could be best described as evil or the dark arts or, or darkness or malevolence. And the problem with malevolence is that when it is used as a way to maintain motivation for life is that it feeds off of you and that what it feeds is it feeds the kind of i mean i i think i think you know one one way you could art articulate this is you know like the 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 concept and i don't mean to be religious but i think the the concept of original sin has a has a useful a useful analogy here I think there's an aspect to the warrior in particular, because we've been trained in violence, that that almost supports the suicidal ideation around firearms and using that as a method to just stop all the darkness. 
because everybody who's stuck in darkness knows that there are moments that are unbearable. I mean, unbearable, unbearable to feel and unbearable to imagine yourself in any other possible way. Life will never feel good again. And that's precisely where my demons would always show up. And that demon doesn't show up as a monster. It shows up as a smooth, quiet, authoritative, authoritarian voice. It's like, I can fix it. (laughs) I got this under control. Right. Uh, You, you got no problems. Just, just, just listen to me. I'll tell you who to blame. And you know what we got in that cupboard? Just always remember you got that. You, know, you, you, can, you can end all this so easy. And so that's the thing. And you, you need to be scared of your demons. And so that's, that's the thing. Like, so we've, we've understood that. And we're now really aggressively kind of putting that out there that, you know, to keep yourself open-hearted and finding the ways to be open-hearted is really the language that I think is, is proven most effective. Beautiful, man. I, I love that you are, are relating to warriors in that way about something that is so important and about something that can change and save their lives. That's what I always say is these, mm-hmm. these practices changed and quite literally saved my life. And, uh, and I, I applaud what, what you're doing out there. And, and I hope that there's ways that we can work together in the future besides just having you on the mm-hmm. podcast, because I, I do believe in what you're doing. It's, it's phenomenal work. We're, we're coming up on on the uh, top of the hour here, Ben. What um, what have you not talked about that you would like our listeners to hear? Um, the experience of mindfulness, the experience of the actual like the training. So why why to practice? It's really important to talk about this because we've we've talked about it a lot in the realm of the intellect. But in the realm of the present moment, what the practice does is it supports better shifting gears. And so what that means is life at its, at its essence is full of change, okay? The change is what's constant. And any attempt for the mind to fixate on things being a certain way or staying a certain way uh, will ultimately lead to problems. And, and one of the biggest problems is that not that things didn't go your way, but that you really feel it. Okay. You're really going to feel it in your body. You're going to feel it maybe in the chest space. There might be an experience of the sensations going up. There might be a sensation of the things going down. There might be a sensation of compression. So the feel like there's, there's, there's so much feeling to stress that people don't engage with because most people think of it in the context of their story, okay? So it's really important for people to grasp that it's really, what mindfulness really does is help you participate with the things that are going on and then learn how to navigate their intensity. And so that's what I mean by gear shifting. So it's not that now I meditate and practice mindfulness all day long, which is my default. It's that it's and that, that means I don't feel anything or I'm all zinned out all the time. It just means that when there's a spike and there, there regularly are, it's that one, I notice it. Okay. Right. Two, I don't, I notice the rest of my body. So typically, typically you're going to get sensation here, 
right? In some variation here, because this, this is the path of your of the bio, the one we'll go in the bias. But typically, you'll you'll experience it here. So one, you got to notice it. Two, you need to recognize that it's not the only thing going on. Okay. Then three, you interact with it. You do it with your breath. And then four is you still have an opportunity to get to your heart, to get to a, something that maybe it's gratitude, maybe it's maybe it's compassion, maybe it's awe, maybe it's surprise, maybe it's curiosity. You still have these skills that you can use to shift gears and change the way that thing plays out. And that is way, way, way more useful than what typically happens is that you feel something and if it's anger or whatever, it's typically this, it's up to here, and then it's out. Right. And what most people say when they describe it is that, I didn't even realize that I was in that space. And then I and then I was like, oh, crap. But the cat's already out of the bag and I've already got it. Now I got a backpedal. So the thing, the thing, if there's anything you take from this conversation about mindfulness is that it's it's the stuff that helps you solve the problem before it becomes the problem. And you, you first you recognize it. That's number one. That's the present moment. Number two. It's not the whole, the whole picture is not what you're feeling. There's more. That's where the body relationship comes into. Three, the interaction with the breath. The breath is like the ultimate weapon. And then four is you're doing it to get back to the open hearted space because that's where the connections can reconnect. And that's what feeds what makes life worth living. So don't forget that. Nice, man. I love that. I'll make sure that that in and of itself is in the notes so that if, if, uh, you know, you know how you had those two people that watch the entire episode of that YouTube. Maybe, <laughs> maybe somebody won't listen to this entire episode of this podcast, but at least they'll get that. I think that's Just get uh, that a little bit. That's right. fantastic, man. And, uh, and if people wanted to reach out to you, if they had questions, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you or learn about your organizations? Yeah. So I, I teach what I just described. That's the armor down mindfulness protocol every single morning, every weekday morning on armor down, Facebook, Armor Down YouTube, Armor Down Twitter. So anybody who has any access to those platforms can access the training absolutely free. Uh, and I do it every morning at 0600. Now, you don't have to do it with me at 06. You can, uh, but most people aren't up that early. It must be a military thing. Uh, but the um, but it's recorded, so you can just you can just do it. And it's the same. It's the same protocol every single time. What's different? is that I, I use the study of different things um, as a way to foster discussion and, and really support the value of the practice. And currently what we're studying is um, a, a book of quotes by the founder of the martial art Aikido called The Art of Peace. Now everyone, of course, is hurt and knows about The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Uh, I got a lot to say about Sun Tzu, uh, but nobody hardly knows about The Art of of peace, which was created in 1968, right? So it's it's a much more modern understanding of conflict. So it's a it's a it's a way to participate with the realities of violence and the realities of the challenges of life, but in a way that doesn't that doesn't um, champion aggressiveness as uh, as the primary value for for handling conflict. So I'll leave it at that. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, nice, any any just Google Armor Down and, and you'll find it. Uh, yeah, definitely. And uh, I'll put it in the notes too for everyone to to click on. And as far as the Aikido thing, our our executive director, Dave Drake, he had a nonprofit uh, years ago called Aikido for Veterans and Families because he believes in a lot of the same things that, that we, being mindfulness or yoga, 
there's a lot of overlap uh, there. So yes. awesome, Ben, it's been a pleasure having you, brother. Uh, I appreciate your time. I appreciate again what you're doing and I'm sure your story is gonna resonate with our listeners and I'll be sure to, to let you know when we air it. It'll be, it'll be a little while just so I develop a backlog, but it'll, it'll be coming out sometime mid-November or so. So uh, again, thanks, thanks for your time and until we speak again, stay safe and stay healthy. Roger that, you too, John. Thanks, man, it's a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.